generation dwells here. And then we moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. Welcome to Color Correction, a Jesus Y podcast about race and faith from the perspective of an Asian guy. Uh, and today, um, it, <laughs> I don't even know how to do this. Um, uh, today we have a, a special guest, a a particular a, we a, a special edition of Color Correction, where um, Bethany and Chris are are not here today, but I'm joined uh, by three members of our community. And I don't even want to make. I don't even want to identify yourselves for you. So why don't we just go into <laughs> introducing ourselves? I'm Andrew. I use he/him pronouns. I identify as Asian American Han Taiwanese. I'm Laura. I use she/her pronouns. I'm Puerto Rican, um, a white Latina. Julius. Uh, <laughs> I use he/him pronouns and. Uh, I am, uh, uh, I identify <laughs> as uh, Taino and African-American. And I'm Tess, I use she, her pronouns, and I identify as Mexican-American and white. Cool. So, I guess the big question here is, what do I even call this? <laughs> like, my email was like, color correction, Latina edition, but there's, is there, um, I mean, right now we're in the middle of or at the tail end of Hispanic Heritage Month. Mm -hmm. On the U.S. Census, it's, it's Hispanic. Um, other alternatives have been uh, Latino, which is the masculine ending of, of, of you know, of the, that word. Um, or Latinx, which is gender neutral, but also doesn't really make sense in Spanish. Mm -hmm. uh, do you guys have an opinion? <laughs> <laughs> just logistically yeah what do i call this episode yeah no i don't know i feel like latin is fine mm -hmm. yeah I so i i think um the thing that binds us is who the colonizers were mm. so in the same way that you know uh many african countries were colonized by french speaking colonizers well, then they have that common bonding. Um, and so it's almost like a trauma bonding. Uh, and so in a, you know, very real way, uh, any place that is speaking Spanish largely now outside of Spain mm -hmm. uh, is doing so because it was colonized by Spain. Yeah. And so that's the, the lengua franca. And so, you know, as much as it sucks to have that, be a part of the history it also is a thing that helps us to connect with each other even though we're in different parts of the world yeah that's a great place to start um just the just the language piece of things because i like what you're saying julius in the sense that spanish is both a thing that unites you and i imagine feels kind of familial to a certain extent but it also it carries this kind of colonial baggage with it i mean for me, for instance, like I think of my kind of family language as Taiwanese Hokkien, but the language that most people speak in, in Taiwan is Mandarin Chinese because that mm -hmm. was kind of imposed on us in the 40s. Mm -hmm. But even Hokkien is a, is a language that replaced um, the, uh, the Soraya language that is my indigenous heritage. Mm -hmm. uh, so really it's like, it's just like <laughs> oppression all the way down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. how do you guys feel about Spanish? That is a very good question. Mm -hmm. For me, it's hard because my family did not grow up speaking a lot of Spanish. And so I often feel very disconnected from language in that way. But we spoke a lot of Spanglish and I still speak a lot of Spanglish. Mm -hmm. And there are rules to Spanglish. People just think <laughs> it's switching whenever you feel like it, but it's not. There is like a rhythm to Spanglish. Yeah. And a lot of people or some people don't like when Spanish speakers speak in Spanglish, but I'm like, English and Spanish are both the colonizer language, so mm. might as well make a new language out of it <laughs> and call it Spanglish. And um, yeah, so I feel like most comfortable in Spanglish. That's what my brain thinks in. Mm -hmm. I like definitely don't consider myself fluent in Spanish at all, but in Spanglish, maybe more so. Mm. 
Yeah, my like first words were in Spanish, and I grew up hearing Spanish from my parents. I only learned English when I went to school, um, but now I would say that I'm definitely more comfortable in English. Um, I can understand Spanish very well. My parents will like speak it to me, and then I'll respond in English, and that's kind of how I it's always <laughs> been. Um, yeah, I just and I also like took Spanish class in high school, so mm-hmm. I like I learned how to read and write in that and like that spanish is like spain spanish like Mm -hmm. not like puerto rican so i was just talking to johnny earlier today about how like i want to learn i want to sound more puerto rican when i speak (laughs) spanish like i want to like drop my s's and like my r's sound like l's and like i don't know i want to i want i want that to be what i sound like and i don't know if i'll ever get there just because like i don't know learning language is hard when you're older and like will I ever sound like that I don't know but that's like ideally I would speak Spanish and sound Puerto Rican I don't know as a way to like signal to like other Puerto Ricans like I'm also Puerto Rican you know because yeah yeah, you can't necessarily tell that from looking at me Mm. so I kind of want to use that as like yeah like a signal marker yeah cool um so for me uh we most of the time that we heard Spanish in my household growing up. Uh, it was either through music or because we were getting cussed out. Uh, <laughs> somebody get in, got in trouble and did something wrong. And, you know, my mother would uh, flip out in Spanish. Uh, so to this day, like, I rarely speak Spanish to my boys when I'm communicating with them generally. If I'm ordering them to do something, directing them to do something like cross the street or throw this in the trash or something like that, it usually comes out in Spanish. And it's hilarious because I'm making it a habit to do it with my students at the uh, detention center. And, you know, uh, they're like, Mr. I don't speak no Spanish. (laughs) But it's just I'm just used to giving directions in Spanish sometimes. And so uh, it's fun. Have you had the experience? So, Julius, you're are you flu- Would you say you're fluent in Spanish? Um, like Laura, I comprehend yeah. better than I speak. I hear you. Yeah. Um, so I can get through most basic things, but also I don't have uh the um academic language. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I have very yeah. practical, get regular things done. Yeah. Uh accessibility and then i don't know about you guys but like when i do speak spanish it's like my grammar is wild like yeah. it's just like it some totally. to like a native spanish speaker it might not make sense right. but like to my family or other people who kind of speak spanish the way i do i'm like they get it it's fine yeah. Like, yeah but yeah it can be real wild or yeah i do a lot of like phrases in yeah. spanish like to my students as well and yeah. they always laugh at me because they whenever they complain i just go ay pobrecito like what does that mean what does that mean poor thing there Um, are like some phrases that like don't translate that i like think in my mind mm -hmm. and then people ask me what that means and i'm like i don't know like it just means like this like yeah yeah, something weird that like doesn't make sense in english (laughs) Um, melissa's experience my wife was different from mine because she grew up with her grandparents Mm -hmm. so she like you didn't speak any English until she started going to grade school Mm -hmm. and then once she got in school that's when Mm -hmm. the English started happening um but uh like she'll be able to listen like I'll listen to Spanish songs and not understand what they're saying she you know will translate it for me and talk about you know all the poetry that's in there that's just like Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. my head but it's because she was exposed at a young age yeah you know Uh uh-huh as an aside, Julius, mm-hmm. your voice right now is like way lower than it normally is. And it's I bet it's going to sound beautiful on the recording. Uh-huh. Like you're doing this bassy thing. People tell me I also have a radio voice, which uh-huh. I, I think is probably true. Yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> you do that in like Sunday meetings, too. And for talk back, you're like. And I'm like it's, oh my God. it's because I don't have to project mm-hmm. like oh, when yeah. I have to project. Well, then I've got to. Mm-hmm. Take it up a bunch right. of notches, gonna, but this is where I'm comfortable. Have that sweet Julius is just whispering right into your That sweet, intimate Julius sound. Um, I think Laura, similar to you, um, and probably um, I, I when I was my earliest 
languages were in Taiwanese and Chinese, but I mm-hmm. lost that by like around by the time I was like four years old. Not mm-hmm. completely, but just being surrounded by English. <clears throat> so I have this weird experience where like my my Chin- my like my Mandarin Chinese will kind of like get better or worse sometimes and if like like sometimes if i'm like drunk it's like way better because some like some part of my mind is unlocking that yeah, like mental block that suppresses totally. it. <laughs> i don't know if you guys have a similar experience mm-hmm. julius do you speak do you speak spanish at home uh historically we've uh spoken a lot of spanish in order to communicate something to each other that we didn't want the boys to understand. <laughs> uh, Nikai's gotten better at Spanish and better at understanding. So now that doesn't work as much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just sometimes um, I think for us, it often comes out when we're being emotional. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, usually uh, it's tied to like a deeper emotion like what you were saying about like certain phrases, Mm -hmm. they carry a certain weight that are not the same Mm -hmm. as in English. Um, That's so interesting to me. Like just like thinking about like how you said that it comes out when you're like angry or like, like something deep. I don't know. I feel like there's more there. And I feel like someone that like has studied languages can like explain this more, but like, yeah, that's really interesting. I also, when I hear Spanish, it like, really makes my heart happy like Uh i feel like yeah i don't know like it just it feels more like emotional and more like yeah i don't know i I like yeah i like hearing people (laughs) speak spanish yeah tess you talked about how some people don't like spanglish as Mm -hmm. a concept Mm -hmm. um i mean have you had the experience of being around um people who are more fluent than you and (laughs) How do you feel about that? How do they perceive mm-hmm. your Spanish or you? Yeah. Do you want to go first, Dust? <laughs> sure. Uh, I feel like such an imposter when I'm with totally. other people Same. who are actually fluent. Um, or when, especially when, like, often I do understand, but I respond in English. Mm-hmm. And then people just respond to me in English yes. because they mm-hmm. think that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, you can keep talking in Spanish. Yes. I'm going to keep responding in English because I'm embarrassed about yeah. my accent and my wild grammar. Um, but that can be really, that can, like, be really difficult to feel out of place in that way. Mm-hmm. Um That my language comprehension, like, isn't where it should be. And, like... Yeah, especially when there are people I know that really don't like Spanglish Mm -hmm. and will, like, get upset if you switch back and forth Mm -hmm. because their brains just aren't used to doing that. But, like, that's how I grew up was, like, switching back and forth so often. Yeah. Yeah, so I definitely often feel like an imposter. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not super uncommon for, you know, second, third, fourth generation uh, Latino, whatever people want to call themselves to not speak Spanish because it was so demonized for speaking Spanish and mm-hmm. um, people were so afraid of being mistreated or having an accent mm-hmm. um, or it wasn't allowed in schools. And so then a lot of people don't speak Spanish um, because of fear. So, yeah. Yeah. I relate a lot to what you were saying. Um, I've gone to Puerto Rico twice in the past like year and a half and people like, yeah, like all. I want the conversation to be in Spanish because I can understand it. And I like, in theory, like want to practice, but like, it depends how the conversation starts. Like they'll start in Spanish, but I might respond in English or Spanish. And then maybe they'll see that I like speak English and then they'll switch to English, especially in San Juan where like people speak both. Like they'll be like, oh, you're not from here. You're a tourist. You speak English. And I'm like, no, but like speak Spanish to me. (laughs) Um, And it de- so one time I went with my white boyfriend and like people were definitely uh-huh. spoke English to me. And then the other time I went with my parents and like I just kind of let them carry the conversation because uh-huh. they sound like they're from Puerto Rico because they are. So people will like definitely speak to them in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And then I'll like speak my bad Spanish and they'll like, I don't know. Yeah, like kind of understand. But I like I want that experience of like speaking in Spanish. But I'm like, but please be patient with me and don't switch to English because that's not what I want. I'm going to practice. <laughs> So, uh, for me, um, my father is a pretty well-known local musician who plays salsa music, which is typically performed in Spanish. 
Um, so there is this expectation of me to be somebody who, you know, is steeped in good Spanish language and being able to operate in that world. And uh, that was not my experience. You know, I wasn't raised with him. So, you know, I didn't get to have that experience uh, being a part of my life. Um, and so, uh, yes, I have definitely been shamed by family, friends, co-workers or whatever when I'm not speaking Spanish fluently. Um, and it used to be a point of shame for me and felt like, you know, I'm losing a part of my identity mm -hmm. uh, until the conversations became normalized about uh, colonization mm -hmm. and just how, no, that was just the slave traders language. Mm -hmm. Like that's not the language of your people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. You've been, you've grown up thinking that it's the language of your people because it's the one that's been most used, but uh, actually, you know, the language of the Arawak and the Taino are the languages that you should care about and that you should mm -hmm. emphasize and you should care about your articulation of, um, so I haven't had the time that I want to to invest in actually becoming more fluent in those languages. Um, but uh, though that's my intention is, mm -hmm. you know, instead of becoming a better Spanish speaker, um, becoming a better uh, Arawakan speaker. Interesting. Um, yeah. So the Spanish that I have, I'm grateful for. Um, because it's practical in the same way that my English is practical. It allows me to communicate with people, ask for directions, help people out when they're struggling. You know what I mean? Um, so it's a great tool and I appreciate it as a tool, but I don't care to refine this tool. I'm fine with it being what it is and using it as I'm able um, and connecting with people as I'm able with it. Yeah, that is interesting. I have a sem I, it, when I sometimes when I interact with my older relatives, they're like, "Why isn't your Chinese better?" And I, I will feel kind of ashamed, but it's like also it's not my fault. <laughs> you're, you're the one that pulled me out of Chinese school. You're the one yeah. that wanted me to speak English my really well. My parents are the ones that decided to move to the United States. Yeah, like, you moved here. Yeah. <laughs> it's not on me. Andrew, yeah. do you know what a nosavo kid is? No. <laughs> do you both know what a nosavo kid is? No. Yeah. Um. So a no sabo kid is uh, what typically you're like, like your aunties, your, you know, your tias, your tios, your abuela, your whomever, your family, um, they'll call the kids who don't speak Spanish mm -hmm. no sabo kids. And it's an insult. <laughs> it's not a nice thing to say to someone right. like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, tio, tio so-and-so, he has no sabo kids. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, my primos, they're no sabo kids. Um, and it comes from, a lot of people like don't know where it actually comes from. But so in Spanish, if you say, like, I don't know, you would say, like, no sé. Yeah. But when you're just hearing a language and you're trying to mm -hmm. pick up on grammar, mm -hmm. most of the time in Spanish, you when you want to say, like, I and then I eat, mm -hmm. I drink, whatever, you end it with an O. You just change the ending to an O. Mm -hmm. And the verb for to know is, well, one of the verbs is saber. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. people who don't know, like, don't aren't taught, like, a more academic Spanish, mm -hmm. Their brain we'll says, say oh, no sabo. And so mm -hmm. when your relatives speak to you in Spanish, often those little kids will say, oh, like, lo siento, like, no sabo, no sabo, mm -hmm. which is like incorrect grammar. Mm -hmm. And so they start calling them like no sabo kids because you're supposed to say no se. Uh -huh. And so like mm -hmm. it's just a like a silly like little kid thing when your brain is trying to put the grammar pieces together. And again, it's most of the time used as like an insult. Like you say that like behind people's back, like, mm -hmm. oh, like, yeah, like they have no sabo kids or like they they're no sabo. Um, but I, I say it about heard myself that being used really only, yeah, like through you. And like when you said mm -hmm. it, I was like, I can, I know what you mean by that. Yeah. But yeah. And like, yeah, so I use it for myself. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm an Osawa kid. Like, that's just okay, yeah, that's what it is. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And then my grand, and it's true for me because like my grammar is wild. So, but you can make a band. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting that both Tess, uh, you and Laura, have talked about the experience of being read as white. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if that figures into why, like, you kind of want to claim Spanish more. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that tracks at all? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I just worry so much about, like, how I'm perceived. And right. it's like, okay, well, if at least I hear someone speaking Spanish and then I can respond to them in Spanish, well, then at least, like, 
I'll feel a little bit more like I belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, especially here in, you know, Philly in general, like we think more in binaries. Um, we're like in other places like where I grew up, there was just so much uh, diversity that like people didn't necessarily assume that I was white in the same way. Mm-hmm. At least that's how my understanding of it. But here I'm way more conscious of how much like I'm perceived as white. Um, yeah. Or when I went and visited like my family in El Paso, Texas, I like that anxiety was like gone because everyone there is for the most part Mexican-American to some extent. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't worry as much about like how I was perceived. Right. But and yeah, what's difficult is like you don't have any agency over how you're perceived. Mm-hmm. Like even when Laura, when you're like, oh, I'm like, oh, it's, you know, I was like, oh okay (laughs) if you say so i yeah so that's only something i've like started thinking around the past few years because where i grew up like so i grew up in the suburbs of Reading. um so i was surrounded by a lot of white people and i went to the same school like k through 12 so once people like learned i was puerto rican they like knew that um and once i moved to philly and was surrounded by like yeah more diversity like more black people like like I people I learned that people read me as white and I'm like oh that's interesting I didn't know that I like came across as white um to some people so that's like something I've been like reckoning with recently and like I don't even know I don't know when you that first question like how do we like uh define ourselves like I don't know I'm like do I because I guess I identify like some people might see my skin tone as white, mm-hmm. but like saying white in like the United States is like is it's sometimes like equivalent to like like Anglo-Saxon American like white culture, mm-hmm. which like I don't identify with. Um, but like if we're com- if we're like talking about like skin tone, like sometimes I look white to some people, and then like some people of color, I don't know. Some people of color tell me like they don't see me as white so uh-huh. it, i i don't know it's it's hard because i don't know how people perceive me it really depends on the person on like yeah so yeah. i don't know all that it, I, it is interesting how you're both talking about how you read as white or you don't read as white depending on the context mm-hmm. um, yeah i mean honestly laura i thought you were white yeah <laughs> i thought yeah. you were white but amy didn't yeah. so it's like but then again i i i feel like i tend to just read people that aren't clearly non-white as white maybe i don't know maybe yeah johnny yeah johnny didn't know i was puerto rican and he was like oh your skin tone is lighter than mine but like the two other white guys that i was with at the time were like oh no i knew that she wasn't white Mm. and i'm like well where does that leave me like white people (laughs) are like like, you're not white but then like other people of color are like oh she's white Mm -hmm. but i don't have the opposite experience where most people of color know that there's something else going on but they don't know what yeah (laughs) and then white people are the ones who often like don't yeah and you and bethany have both said on the podcast too like you can't escape like you are asian people know you're asian bethany is black people know that she's black like Mm -hmm. you can't hide that yeah and yeah i i want people to know that i'm puerto rican so i'm like i look for ways to like signal that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i I get that i think the fact that i read as non-white is probably one of the reasons that i kind of rejected asianness and the languages of asianness in my adolescence like i mm-hmm. didn't go out of my way to do asian stuff or yeah have my my chinese or taiwanese better mm-hmm. it was because i was like well everyone or- already thinks i'm different <laughs> i don't want to get more different that so that's how i was when i was yeah. like younger when i was surrounded mm-hmm. by white people like right. i i wanted to blend in mm-hmm. but like now learning that i'm not always right, right i like want people to know and also just like, yeah, like growing up and like I, I've i become prouder. Like I, I I like want to. Yeah, I don't know. Whereas like, yeah, when, when I feel like you're when you're a kid, you like want to like blend in more. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. What do you think about all this, Julius? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you also don't read as white. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so I, I am fortunate in that I've always looked Indian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that I'm fortunate in that because, uh, my, uh, father to this day calls me Indio, mm. um, which is Indian and Spanish. And, uh, so I've always been seen as exotic, mm-hmm. um, which is cool 
for some and not cool, you know, uh, sometimes not cool for other times. So um, I think as a poor brown kid in the city, I was just another another little brown kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as I've gotten older, what's been very cool is uh, having people from other parts of the world um, share how much I look like their people. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, my features are comparable to indigenous peoples. Uh, in you know, I've gotten uh, Ethiopian, I've gotten uh, any type of North African, mm-hmm. uh, Middle Eastern, um, of course, still Indian. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, my friends are Indonesian and they mm-hmm. said, you know, there's people in Indonesia that look like me and yeah, that I could pass I for, that. you know what I mean? Um, As you said, each of those things, I keep, I was like, I, in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I would believe that. Uh, so all that being said, uh, what's cool about that is, you know, all of these connections, all of these ideas are coming from indigenous peoples around the world as opposed to uh white you know uh european sources Mm -hmm. which is really cool because you know again um if you had a child that was born out of a domestic violence relationship who decides not to associate with the parent that caused the violence Mm -hmm. well then they should be allowed to do that you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, Europe caused my people and continues to cause my people uh, oppression and um, heartache. And so uh, I have no allegiance to my uh, European heritage. Uh-huh. Um, but my lived experience in Philadelphia has been healthier because of my uh, connection to relationship with the African-American community. Mm -hmm. Uh, So were it not for the black experience uh, in church, the black experience on the block, uh, then I wouldn't be the person that I am today. Mm -hmm. And so I have no problem um, embracing that part of my heritage in spite of the fact that there's a lot of Latinos who, because of the language barrier, try to disassociate themselves mm-hmm. from African-Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, that's almost never been a problem for me. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course, you know, my indigenous uh, roots are, you know, the ones that are easiest for me to connect to because I've always been Indian. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's always been sort of like the undercurrent of uh how I've been perceived and seen. And it's also one of the things that I continue to see in a bunch of uh, the kids in the neighborhood. Uh, We had uh, one day where the kids were playing around with the the toys. This is when I was teaching like kindergarten or first grade. And uh, some of the little boys uh, started putting these little hoops on their ears, Mm -hmm. right? And it was amazing how them just putting the hoops on their ears Mm -hmm. made them move from being kids from the inner city of Philadelphia to little Brazilian indigenous kids. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the features were already there. It was already there, but we're not used to seeing them that way because of the clothing and all that kind of stuff. But it was Mm -hmm. just like, it was almost like they put on a costume just by putting on, you know, the the hoop earring things. Mm -hmm. Um, So all that being said, like that's, that's how I, I feel now. I feel like, you know, that, uh my connectedness to land is the land of the taino like that's those are my parents and my grandparents who i honor mm-hmm. the people of west africa or any other african place where the slaves were brought to that place i i feel honor being connected to those legacies mm-hmm. and connected to um the things that they brought into the world you know what i mean so yeah uh 
Did I answer the question? I don't even remember what was what the, the question. question? <laughs> That's a great point, though, Julius. I mean, it's it, it it's it's complicated. It, I mean, you're bringing up a lot of interesting stuff, and I just keep thinking about how complicated it is, because Laura and Tess are are thinking about how you're you're you read as white in some contexts, and you have to and 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 not in other contexts, and the, the language like brings you closer or farther away from whiteness um julius i i connect with what you're saying in the sense that like like just for instance like my parents were um back when they were in primary school if you spoke taiwanese hokkien in school they would hit you because they wanted to enforce mandarin but even then taiwanese hokkien is a language that replaced other languages going farther back even if i languages that are that disappeared by the end of the 1800s so even if i wanted to learn like indigenous taiwanese languages there i have basically well actually no i have one resource which is a translation of the bible (laughs) (laughs) so it's like oh okay like that's that's an additional layer of colonization it's just really um, we could have like a whole nother conversation about colonization because yeah. I feel like there's so much that I could say about like Puerto Rico and colonization, mm-hmm. both with Spain and also the U.S. Yeah, I'm curious, Andrew, when you kind of brought us all together, one of the things you asked or like had brought up was like the immigrant experience. Yeah. And I'm really interested to how Julius and <laughs> Laura answer that yeah. because it's complicated. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It, I, I An additional layer, maybe the most recent layer for all of us is the fact that in some way or another, we are our families were transplanted here. I mean, for Except me, my family really wasn't. Well, that's <laughs> that. That is also interesting. Right. So let's talk about start? that. Yeah, so let's mine's a little more complicated, yeah. but I think it, it illuminates the. There's a lot of like I relate to a lot of people who have like this immigrant experience, mm-hmm. except my family were immigrants in their own land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because a lot of my family, while we ha- did have some people who immigrated from northern Mexico. Um, for the most part, my family are what we call Tejanos. So they're just like indigenous to Texas. Uh-huh. Um, even like when you do a DNA test, like that's what it says. Like that's where you're from. Like you were from this, you know, what is now Texas. Um, but not the even what, 150 region. years ago, that was Mexico. Yeah. And then my family was there. There was a Mexican-American war. Uh, the U.S., did some shady stuff. I know everyone's shocked to hear that. And then it was suddenly now the United States. And a lot of my family, they couldn't even get citizenship, even though their boundaries were taken over. Um, I think it took like 70 or 80 years. I'm getting some of those numbers wrong before people who were were Mexicans prior to the Mexican-American War became, quote unquote, Americans, mm-hmm. even though they had never moved. They had always been there. Uh-huh. Even yeah. um, I'm going to get some of the details a little bit mixed up, but my great-grandmother she and a lot of my family lived in the El Paso region of Texas, and uh, she lived there. And there was uh, the Rio Grande like changed, mm-hmm. um, and so suddenly people found themselves on the other side of the river. And so she had been in Mexico, and now suddenly she's in the United States because the river, uh, the river boundary, changed? yeah, it, like the boundaries changed, oh, okay. and what they like decided was uh-huh. the U.S. and what wasn't. And they could decide either you stay and become American, or you move and go to Mexico. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's complicated because I'm like I I don't even like again my family we've like done DNA tests and something I'm like probably a little more proud of than I should be and I I don't even know if I should I shouldn't even be putting this on a recording but like none of my blood is Spaniard it's uh-huh, all wow. Scottish or indigenous uh-huh. because uh-huh. even I mean arguably the people who came to Mexico or who were Scottish were also colonizing a little bit but uh-huh. the people who on that side of my family my not white side even those people were scottish mm. not spaniard um or there's like two percent like basque spaniard which mm. i don't even know if they like to be called spaniards so yeah that's just it's it's complicated because yeah. we even when people are like oh well your family's mexican i'm like yeah but like texas mexican uh-huh. <laughs> but that's some of them did amazing. immigrate but yeah it's it's confusing and complicated your family yeah. has been around so long that the land has changed yeah. around you yeah. <laughs> yeah and so like we just uh-huh. became Americans by happenstance. Wow. Um, yeah, so my parents moved to the United States. Um, we were all born in Puerto Rico. I was born there. Um, my parents had lived 
in the U.S. for a little bit before I was born um, and then moved back and then moved to the U.S., um, moved to Reading, and that's where me and my brother grew up. Um, I think they, like, share in experiences of, like, the immigrant experience, um, even though technically we are United States citizens. Mm -hmm. Um, I, yeah, we've, like, had that privilege to, like, not have to, like, worry about, like, getting citizenship um, that a lot of, like, other Latin Latinos do. Um, So I don't know, like, I don't know if that's, like, technically if they're immigrants, but, like, I think they, like, share in that experience um, of, like, not knowing people, having to, like, find other people that speak Spanish. Um, I've been thinking about, like, my parents. Um, When I was younger, like, they would become friends with um, the parents of other Latino kids that, like, I played soccer with um, or whatever, because, like, that's where they found community, but... Yeah, like, they really struggled to live in, like, a white area. Um, yeah, that's yeah. why I think the immigrant question is interesting. So it's like, right. I, I, yeah. if, are we immigrants? That's a great <laughs> point. Yeah, because you were already in the United States. Puerto Rico is part mm-hmm. of the United States as a territory. Mm-hmm. So really, I'm the only immigrant here. <laughs> <laughs> Technically. Well, how uh, do you define an immigrant? Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, as a child, I had no concept of immigration or immigrantness um since i lived in a poor community we had tons of diversity um from all over the world in the neighborhood um and i just associated myself with my neighborhood and so there was just my community and uh one of the churches that I grew up going to would take us to other white churches outside of the city and suburban places or whatever. So I got to see what life was like outside of the city. So it was just city, not city. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, uh, where where are your parents from? Oh, uh, so my, uh, parents were both born in the U S my grandparents were the ones that came from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, in Philly? So Dusa. Your parents lived in Philly? Uh, no, uh, Chicago and Brooklyn. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, other uh, cities. you grew up in Philly? Um, all of my experience has been Philly. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, although I'm sure there were moments in my childhood where I was being perceived in a certain way and all that kind of stuff. A lot of that went over my head Mm -hmm. because it's just, you know, it could have been for any number of reasons. It could have been because of poverty. It could have been because of my brown skin or whatever. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there were a lot of things that could have made it so that way I was being othered. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was, I was rarely in a situation where it seemed like, you know, people were, uh, you know, seeing me as an other mm-hmm. in a way that was different from the other people that lived in my community. Mm-hmm. So your grandparents would have been the ones that like left their place where they grew up to move to the United States. Yeah. Whereas yes. my parents have that experience of like leaving the land that they know right. to start a new life elsewhere. Yeah. And that's, I think what's, you know, I've noticed like anytime we try to say like generally like Latino, Latino, mm-hmm. like none of us really know what to say. And I think that's because we can't even really say like, oh, like immigrants from the Caribbean, South America, yeah. the yeah. Mexico's in North America. Like right. there uh-huh. is, it's very, that's what part of what's makes us complicated because yeah. I mean, this is true. I think of everyone, but any of my Latin friends, like we all have such variety different reasons even how i think my brother or my sister or my dad Mm -hmm. would identify or share their experience would be different than me Mm -hmm. just because of context and Mm -hmm. yeah i just find that like really fascinating that um yeah i think we're the wrong people to ask about being immigrants right i I would like to propose Uh (laughs) that it be changed to indigenous day uh podcast it, it is, is oh yeah it's literally right <laughs> oh, yeah. and so because i mean at the end of the day again yeah. our people were on this land before mm. it was colonized our ancestors that is something we all do have in common yeah. Yeah. right indigenous and yeah so. and, and ba- ba- literally i think what's interesting about this table is that all of us the one commonality is that all of us are finding different ways to push back against 
being colonized mm-hmm. and our the history of colonization. Like for you, Julius, resisting Spanish is a way of resisting colonization. <laughs> for Tess and Laura, uh, learning Spanish is a way of resisting colonization. I think there's also like present day colonization happening in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like currently being colonized by mm-hmm. white people from the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are um, laws in place to incentivize people, um, Americans, white Americans, to start businesses in Puerto Rico because there are no tax. Mm-hmm. There's like no tax to start a business. So it's literally incentivizing white people from the United States to move to Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and like make the land more white mm-hmm. um and like other laws like all beaches in puerto rico are public that's mm-hmm. like a law like you can't it's not privatized mm-hmm. um but people are trying to do that nowadays mm-hmm. and so and people are being displaced from their communities there's like gentrification happening in puerto rico so there's like yeah there's a lot to be said of like current day colonization too and i think pushing back on that for me like i've i've thought about moving to puerto rico um and I think that's like, like I think Puerto Ricans that grew up in the United States moving back to Puerto Rico that feels like resisting colonization. And also, I would I I was just talking to Johnny about this. I would like want to do something where I'm like, um, doing like some kind of like agriculture or like something to help the self sustainability of Puerto Rico, like mm-hmm. adding in like solar panels or stuff that can help Puerto Rico be independent um because i mean this is like a political viewpoint of mine but i think puerto rico should be independent i um this is like a statehood versus like yeah independence kind of conversation i am for puerto rico's independence um and so i yeah i'm for the u.s not colonizing puerto rico anymore (laughs) to consolidate a million thoughts in a very <laughs> short time. Um, so I, so everything that you were talking about uh, mm-hmm. resonates pretty deeply with me mm-hmm. um, within the, the neighborhood context because mm-hmm. I live here in, you know, East Kensington, um, right on the border of Fishtown. And um, one of the things that has been occurring is that as more and more people who are not from the neighborhood move into the neighborhood, the people who are from the neighborhood or who have been here for decades um, feel less comfortable. Mm-hmm. It becomes less the place that they were familiar with and that they like. And so um, even though they have a historical connection, um, they don't want to be here anymore because it's not, the place that they knew Mm -hmm. or the place that they've grown to love. Um, And so uh, I imagine that happening with a lot of uh, the agricultural folks Mm -hmm. uh, who live in Puerto Rico, who, you know, uh, the place was a way, there was a lifestyle, there was a way that the people were and the way that you interacted. And now uh, modernization, um, several natural disasters with limited uh, support um, make it harder and harder to have, to be surrounded by the community, by the people, by the lifestyle that you enjoy and appreciate and makes it valuable and makes it more tempting to just, you know, go do something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, as, wonderful and beautiful as it would be to say yeah let's you know try to uh make that happen the forces of the world the forces of economics the forces of politics and business and money are forcing puerto rico to become uh a a cute beach for uh the u.s Mm -hmm. it's a nice beach uh, resort island mm-hmm. especially with like US. work from home like mm-hmm. why not work from home on the beach yeah so to that end you know although i too would love for there to be indigenous people who are there mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and continuing to practice and preserve culture there. Um, there doesn't seem to be enough forces at work in the world to preserve things like that against uh, forces that are actively working, as mm-hmm. you've already said, to yeah. privatize. The reality to... is it would be really hard to actually do that. <laughs> it <laughs> it would be try, like, but... yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a reason my parents left. Like yeah. it, it would be hard. Um, yeah, because there are like so many forces at work to keep that from happening. Um, and like, yeah, like with hurricane relief, like people that have the resources can just leave Puerto Rico before the hurricane hits mm-hmm. and like come back once their power is restored or like have generators to like completely avoid like all of that. But then there are also people who like, yeah, can't just just can't do that. And they like have to wait for the electric grid to come back even though like the people who own it is like a privatized like u.s canadian company it's like yeah it's so messed up and it's it would be really hard to do that um don't mean you shouldn't try Mm -hmm. yeah but it it wouldn't be surprising if it if it takes a lot of Mm -hmm. herculean Mm -hmm. effort work totally to to preserve some parts yeah um Mm -hmm. there yeah there are also like people in groups, like community organizations that are pushing back on that. So sure. I think that's like where I would see myself if I were to ever move back. Like I would like <laughs> yeah. want to join in on those, that community activism. Yeah, for sure. Any kind of resistance is, is hard, but worth doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, this is a Jesus-y podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, so for our last act here, th- here's what I'm curious about. How has your experience as people resisting colonization in different capacities mm-hmm. how does that how does that affect your faith how has your faith affected that experience i already know my answer go ahead um my uh mexican american family different people we have ancestral practices of like budheria mm. which a lot of people even say that and they get real scared um <laughs> like my great-grandmother like made money off of like reading people's not apparently tarot cards like car like cardamancy mm-hmm. playing cards is how she would like make a lot of her money um so she's like known as like a tambruja and me and my like dad and my siblings we've like really tried to like relearn a lot of practices um that my great-grandmother would have practiced and you know, some people hear that and they're like, but I thought you also like attend this church. Mm-hmm. And like the way I push back is like, yeah, I can do both things mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like I don't have to pick mm-hmm. uh, my ancestral work or my Jesus following because it's not an or, it's an and. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they both like work very well together and in a way that can be really difficult to explain. And I could, that could be a whole nother podcast for me just uh, explaining what, how that works in my head. Um, but I think that is a way that like I push back is that I don't have to choose. I don't have to give up um, this brujeria practice. I can relearn it and I can participate in that. And I can follow Jesus, not or follow Jesus. They are both, they're both very compatible with each other. Mm-hmm. I think for me, so I didn't like grow up going to church. I only started going to church in high school. Um, but I think how it relates to my ethnicity is that like, I also like want to push back on the colonization of Christianity as well. Like I want to decolonize, um, what I had already learned, um, by white people. And I want to learn a more like, yeah, I I feel like I'm still trying to, and that's like how I reconcile like, um, like yeah like just jesus and faith like i want to learn a more decolonized version i don't know i need to think about this question some more so um my experience has been that even though uh christianity is colonized and has been pushed on to people through colonization that uh when the colonized people get it they reshape it and that's been my lived experience. Mm-hmm. So um, the version of Christianity that I was raised with 
is a Christianity that cares for neighbor, that cares for space, that tries to build connections. Um, and so uh, the branches of Christianity that were all about getting money and, you know, God blessing you and giving you new cars and new houses and all that kind of stuff never sat right with me because my experience with people who were doing God's work has always been that they've been with the people that are struggling. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, uh, my stepfather, uh, uh, Bishop Frank Vega was used to pro uh, more broadly known as Pastor Frank. Uh, we had a mission uh, house on Kensington Ave and right next door to us was a um, rehab house uh, where we pretty much lived in community with people who were, you know, rehabilitating. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's what's familiar to me. That's what I know is being with the people who are struggling and that the re the primary reason we're doing it is uh, because that's what's been directed by Jesus. Mm -hmm. But um, ultimately for me as a human, even, you know, trying to decide if I want to continue practice Christianity, um, <clears throat> it's helped me to be in touch with my humanity. So there is nothing that uh, Jesus demonstrated in my opinion that goes against the ideals that I would love to have and to share and that in my experience has been pretty consistent with a lot of what I've been learning about uh, indigenous cultures that do um, that are hospitable that are uh, caring for land um, if you read some of the accounts of uh, when uh, the Spaniards first arrived to the island of Puerto Rico, uh, well, Boricane, <laughs> uh, the uh, Tainos that were there welcomed them. You know what I mean? And they helped them. Uh, we have yet to see a massive movement of Jubilee living uh, and economics in the world or in the u.s or what have you um but it i i imagine that if and when we ever do it will look a lot like the cultures of our indigenous ancestors mm. um that did try to make it so that that way everyone was taken care of even when they were not able to contribute uh as much as others that we found a way to take care of them as well. Yeah. So you're saying that the kind of alternative economics and uh, the values of, of humility and simplicity that are found when you go to the faith at its root are more compatible with these kind of anti-colonial ways of being mm -hmm. than the way that is colonized. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what strikes me about, you know, we're always trying to emphasize in this podcast that Jesus is more ours than he is theirs mm -hmm. you know like just like us jesus was also living in a colonized land trying mm -hmm. to preserve his religious practices mm -hmm. in debates with other other jews other people around him about what's the best way to preserve our values and our way of life um like us jesus was probably a multilingual person mm -hmm. <laughs> trying in some sense to hold on to his language you know speaking aramaic uh, also quite possibly Hebrew as a liturgical language. Maybe he spoke Greek, the language of like the empire to like, he knew enough Greek to make jokes in it. Like <laughs> I, I, I wonder Johnny and I, I've talked to Johnny about like whether Jesus could speak Greek. Mm. And I kind of feel like, I feel like he probably did. Mm -hmm. Basically everybody in the Roman empire spoke Greek. And also I like the idea of Jesus as like a, a kid going with his like, dad to a construction site and like working on some roman temple or something and like speaking greek to like get around mm -hmm. and then going home and speaking aramaic to his parents yeah 
Like mm-hmm. I connect with that Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Reasonable. Um, do you want to add anything, Laura? <laughs> you got half of a thought. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you just said. All right, cool. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> All right, cool. So we like to end our podcast with whatever we're into this yeah. week. Mm. Um, do anybody, does anybody want to go first? Well, uh, being as though it is the weekend of Indigenous Day, oh, Indigenous Peoples, uh, I was able, fortunate to be able to participate in the Indigenous Day celebration at Bartram's Garden mm-hmm. yesterday. Uh, my good friend Brujo. As uh, one of the organizers, um, and um, he's been somebody who's been uh, working very hard to preserve culture. He's um, uh, from Mexico and um, has done a lot of anti-colonial work in trying to preserve Aztec culture. So he's one of the lead organizers of one of our local oh, cool. Aztec dance groups that I can't pronounce the name of because it's... Uh, mm-hmm. indigenous Aztec language it's like you know but yeah so that was a great celebration and it was very life giving and very inspiring so I'm grateful to have participated in it cool Laura I don't know I've listened to this podcast so much and I've thought about this question but I like <laughs> when it came <laughs> to recording today uh-huh. I did not think of what I would say gosh I don't know um I've been into a lot of TV shows. Mm-hmm. I've been rewatching a lot of TV shows. I mean, it's fall, so like obviously I'm rewatching Gilmore Girls for like the millionth time. <laughs> okay. I've also been rewatching Glee. Wow. <laughs> which is like, I watched Glee when I was like in middle school when it was like first on. Uh-huh. And I like, I don't know, I was just like a middle schooler who like liked the songs, but now I'm watching it as like, like in an ironic way. Uh-huh. And like they like make fun of themselves. And it's just like, I don't know, it's fun to like rewatch it. Um, I've also been doing puzzles while watching set TV shows. Okay. Um, so very into puzzles. That's like a pandemic thing that has like stayed with me. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. <laughs> so a bunch of TV shows and also puzzles. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And sometimes at the same time. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. What came to mind is my. I'm into my sister and I. Or my sister recently told me about a uh, protection practice that she does in Purujeria. And that's mostly really exciting to me because in a lot of um, indigenous witchcraft-esque things, when you do the same thing as someone that you have a close tie to, like a family member, it makes it stronger. Mm. Um, and so I was really excited that my sister like told me how she does this like protection practice because um, now I can do it and that makes mine stronger and hers stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like really exciting because while we've like connected over a lot of um, different Buruheria practices, this is like the first time that we were like, oh, we can both do this thing. And even though she lives in Virginia and I live here, it's kind of like you do it with the power of everyone else in your family. That's and cool. yeah, that's cool. So that's just exciting because, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we hadn't had it before. So Nice. nice. Um. I have also not really thought about this, <laughs> so I'm putting myself on the spot. I, I'm into, um, you know, I've been, go- you know, Julius, I've been going to Old City Aikido. <laughs> I've been going to the Saturday class that does the, the Shinkage Edo Ryu class, is old, the kind of old style of, of, of Japanese swordsmanship from the Edo period. And it's very different from Kendo, which is my, my normal kind of athletic thing. It's like these sword forms that are like four or five hundred years old um and it's been cool it's been pretty cool they use live steel swords which is interesting (laughs) (laughs) um but it's been fun and i've appreciated doing that um all right so um special thanks to joe mahoney who set everything up for us as our audio engineer jared selby does our theme song and amy young does our, our website tess patino is our social media goddess I feel like you should say something here. <laughs> Follow us at Color Correction Podcast <laughs> on Instagram and Facebook. Nice. Um, and um, and with that, I will end this with a phone call to Beth and Chris so <laughs> that she can end us with the catchphrase. But thank you guys for doing this and being here yeah. on this Indigenous People's Day. Thanks for yeah. having us. All right. Thanks. Hey, Andrew. Sorry about that. Hey. 
Oh, that, that's cool, though. For the, for once, the this call will begin with you calling me. Oh, well, that'll be a cool change. Uh-huh. Um, do you <laughs> you want to call Chris? Uh, can you loop Chris in? Yep. Okay. All right, let's see. Hey, is it all of us? I'm here. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, Andrew. Okay, cool. So, um, figured we'd... Um, do a quick call mini-sode here. We haven't recorded in a while. Mm-mm. No. No, we quit it, Joy. We did. We were like, all right, there's Joy. That's it. Done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm wondering, you know, we've been doing this podcast for three years. Things are picking back up after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we're kind of just losing energy and needing to find some... I don't know, new energy or revival with the podcast. Oh, no. Like yeah. Like I'm we're just pandemic that. friends. <laughs> Maybe we are just a pandemic. Oh no. <sighs> um so Andrew, let's... are you gonna start a career without us? Because I feel like you're the Beyonce. That you so always you say that, but that's definitely not podcast. true. I don't think that that's is true. Definitely true. It's definitely true. Well, Andrew's a modest Beyonce. Not to, I, not to scare you, but I, I, I am trying. I am going to talk to Julius, Tess, and Laura for a, a Latina episode plus me. Yes. Oh, it is going to just be you. Ooh, see, this is where this yep. is how it starts. Exactly. Exactly. He's looking for other cast members, and he's like, no. No, it's it's just it's you, it's you. Yeah. Remember, Beyonce started with the Fighting Temptations, that one movie. And then she, you know, this is wow. how it starts, but that's fine. I mean, everybody knows that if if Bethany isn't Beyonce, she's at least Kelly. I'm one who nobody knows their their actual name. Poor Chris is Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's funny is that there is that when we started this podcast in 2019, you said "Stay Black, Little Mermaid," and this year that has become suddenly relevant because that's in the news again. Oh my Which god! Is so funny because I don't even want to talk about it with anybody. Like the discussion of the Little Mermaid being black as that's a so big dumb. deal. It's so 2000 and late. I'm like, we've been talking about this. Yeah. It's been (laughs) our catchphrase for three years. Three years. Yeah. You know what's really um, interesting and, like, beautiful? So one of our past guests, Yvonne, um, who's my sorority sister, she literally, literally just picked up painting one day and is a fantastic artist. She does a lot of mixed medium work. Um where she'll take prints and also work with, I think wa- acrylic is what she works with. She's an incredible artist. And she just did a mermaid, a black mermaid painting yesterday. Um, and she named it color correction. And oh. one of the mermaids is modeled after me. That's Aww. amazing. It's so does cool. That mean, does that mean that Andrew and I each get a mermaid too? Hey, no, you guys are not black mermaids. No, we're not black mermaids, Chris. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool, though. Can we get a picture of that for the Instagram? Yeah, I'm definitely going to send it. Oh, to that's awesome. Right, let's do yeah, that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Cool. Um, yeah, so, I mean, along that li- along the line of trying to re-inspire us, I mean, Beth, you had a, you were kicking around an idea that I was into. Yeah. Okay. So since it seems like maybe we've lost a little bit of steam, we're running out of things to talk about, we want to hear from our listeners about how they're wrestling with their faith, how they are, you know, wrestling Mm. with anti-racism a year after George Floyd, right? I know at my workplace um, or my former workplace, as soon as the George Floyd riots happened, you know, we were anti-racism, uh, Black Lives Matter, this, this or that. But it seems like a lot of folks are losing steam on their anti-racism, right? So I'm interested in hearing from our audience about where they're at, at now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's definitely uh, a good question. Yeah, where where's our audience at? What are the things that they're wrestling with? Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's time for another ask me anything kind of episode yeah cool 
And I kind of feel like our podcast is our way of extending the reach of our church and extending the the reach of the concept of church, right? So mm-hmm. to be to be the church together is to be in communi- communication and discussion with one another. So yeah. I don't know. I kind of think of this ask me anything as a way of yeah, being the church with all of our listeners. Yeah, hit us up. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe racism is over and we just missed it. No, racism is not <laughs> over, Chris. Are you crazy? <laughs> no, I am not. <laughs> I am not crazy. Okay. Yeah, maybe we solved I'm racism. Trying, I'm just trying to start something. You are trying to start something for the listeners. Is this how we break up? Uh. <laughs> just starts a new episode without us. And Chris right. is like, well, I think we did it. Racism yep. is over. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great job, everyone. <laughs> the white guy declares racism over it. That's right. Twist. Right. <laughs> Uh, so where should people email their questions? They should email. Oh, actually, that's a good question. Should it be our Gmail account or the website? Um, I mean, it ends up at the same place. I think the website is easier to remember, though, don't you? Yeah. Right. Okay. Sorry. I forgot. I forgot which one we uh, go with now. Um, but yes, please email your questions to colorcorrectionpodcast.com. Because, like always, we want to hear from y'all. You're, I'm so used to you saying that and then ending the episode that I'm, like, waiting for you to do that right now. <laughs> is that the end of the episode? Should I have said, stay black, Little Mermaid? <laughs> I mean, this is a mini-sode. It's a phone call, so I think we're okay. Okay. All right. Well, with that, we want to hear from y'all and stay black, Little Mermaid. Nice. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I think cool. That- all right. Um... Yeah, so I'll uh, let me know if you guys can make it out tomorrow. We'll yeah, try. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for hopping on this hey, call. Cool. Yeah. All right. All Talk right. to y'all soon. See you. Talk to y'all soon. Bye. Bye.